was good stuff. That was holy, holy, holy ground. Hey, it's good to see you today. Thanks for coming out, being a part of uh, the ministry here at Eastside. We are thrilled to have you in the house of God today. And I uh, want to give a shout out to our online community, uh, wherever y'all at. Thanks for tuning in with us. And, and a guest in the house, got a lot of guests, had a chance to meet some of y'all. So thanks for coming out. Um, if you kind of drift off a little bit of my sermon, go ahead and take your phone and scan that little uh, QR code right in front of you, give you something to do, and uh, we'll get you a free gift. This is our, one of our guests, okay? And then afterwards, head out to, to Guest Point. We'd like to meet you after the services. So good to have you. A lot of stuff going on in, our, in the life of our church. Remember Pathway uh, next Tuesday. So if you've not signed up, make sure you do that. Um, that is the 60th birthday of our church, and so we're going to have Pathway that that night, so make sure you're part of that. A lot of people have uh, planned to, to spend the evening with us, so want to make sure that you get a chance to do that. So get on the app, website, head on back there to Info Center, and uh, somebody hook you up. But good to have you. Hey, I am ready, I am really ready uh, to preach passionately something that I believe in so strongly from the Word of God. So are we ready to do this together? Because this goes both ways, okay? We ready? All right, let's do this, okay? So I've been reading this, uh, this preaching book, and um, that's just kind of how I am, man. I want to get better and better and better, and hopefully someday I can learn how to do this thing. And so I've been reading this preaching book, and the author of this book, um, this is one of the great communicators in America of the Word of God, and so this guy's got some things to say. And so I'm reading through his book, and I come across this idea that he throws out for preachers, a suggestion that he makes, and he, 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 he says that, that, that we ought to think about, if, if you do what I do for a living, that you ought to think about creating tension in the room early in your message. Create awkward tension by making a bold statement that will grab everybody's attention. And I've never really thought too much about that, about coming out just in the first few minutes saying something that people would go, what did he just say? Bold proclamation. Reminded me of the, the old vacuum salesman who was uh, making calls in the eastern hills of uh, uh, Tennessee and knocked on an old shack and, and uh, selling vacuums. And the lady house let him come right in, and he just created tension, man. He, he started out with a bold statement, hit a bucket of dirt and threw it right on her floor and said, if my vacuum doesn't suck that up, I'll eat every bite of it. And that lady said, I'll be right back. And she left the room. She came back, handing me a spoon, said, get to eating, pal. We ain't got no electricity. So I got to thinking about that a little bit, about this idea of creating tension. And I, I thought through that a little bit, and I said, you know, let's give it a shot on Thursday night, because y'all don't care, do you, huh? So let's try it on Thursday night, see what happens. I'll decide if we do it on Sunday or not. But here's, here's a bold, just kind of tension statement, okay? Let me put it up here so you can see it. Some people in this room who think they are saved may actually be damned. Somebody say, whoa, okay. So there's a couple of things we can do with this. Number one, we can just say, all right, let's go home, okay, and just end it right there. Or secondly, maybe we can explain it a little bit. And I'm gonna do my best to kind of make this come alive for everybody in the room because there ain't nobody here, including me, who ought not pay attention to that. That's a big deal. 
Now, I want to suggest that there's a connection between this kind of awkward kind of tension statement and the series that we're working through. And so we started last week. We're going to spend two, three more weeks on it. And it comes down to, if you're here last week, you kind of saw me talk about spiritual drift. And that's what we're going to deal with as a church for about a month here. We're going to deal with this idea of spiritual drift, which is a very slow It doesn't happen overnight. It is a slow, sometimes unnoticed, you don't even realize it's occurring, movement away from God from a healthy relationship with God. And so it's this idea that you kind of wake up one day and you realize, man, where I used to be and where I am today, man, that ain't the same place. And so, so we said last week, let's spend about a month just kind of playing with that. And I have, I, I, I've been fascinated this week about the stories that I've heard and some of the murmurings in some circles about people who have started thinking in light of that, that they might be there. Man, have I drifted. And I've been hearing people say, you know, maybe my, 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 my spouse is kind of in drift mode now, or maybe I got some friends that are in drift mode. And so what we've been, what we've been suggesting is that in order for drift not to happen, or in order to correct drift, okay, the secret is to be anchored. And so each week we're gonna, we're gonna bring this anchor out here, which by the way, 20 pounds, baby. Don't even notice it, okay? So the secret is to place this anchor here and to make this statement that there are specific anchors that you can have in your life, and if you're connected to those anchors, then you won't drift. And if at any point in this month you're hearing us talk about it and you're, you're thinking about your own life, and maybe life's somebody else, but you're, you're kind of internalizing it and you're thinking, dude, man, I am, I'm in drift mode. Here's, here's why. Because you've detached from that anchor. Anchors will prevent drift. And so every week we want to talk about one of those anchors. And last week we talked about this one. We talked about this idea of being anchored to the truth of the word of God. To stick with the truth of God. That we live in a world right now, a culture that is moving away from that anchor. Okay, The anchor of truth. That the Bible, te- I mean, the world just done left it. But, but you and me, stay there, remain there, don't leave there. And for a lot of people, if you wake up one day and realize, man, I have, I have just drifted away from where I was with God, for a whole lot of people, it's because they cut the cord of the anchor of truth in their life, and they gotta get back to that. Now, today, we jump back to another one. We present a second anchor, and the anchor that we're going to look at today is the anchor of the gospel. And so our focus is going to be on this phrase right here, that the gospel will anchor you. That if you can figure a way to to get your claws into the gospel and, and not let go of it, then drift will never happen to you. But But please hear me. There, there are folk in the room right now, because whenever you get a bunch of Christian people together, you're going to have some people deal with this. There are, there are people in the room right now 
who are in drift mode, and there might be some people online that you're thinking, dude, are you talking about me? There, there are people in drift mode, and I can almost promise you that the reason people find themselves drifting away from a good, healthy relationship with God is because they detach from the anchor of the gospel. This is so so important to hear this evening. Now, we probably ought to spend a few minutes making sure that we understand what gospel means, because that's one of those churchy words, okay? We do that, Christians. We got our own little secret language, our own little church words that people out there have no idea in the world what we're talking about. And so you and I hear about gospel all the time. I don't know if we ever have a church service when somebody didn't say the word gospel, and you use it and I use it, but do you really know what it is? I mean, could you define it? Could you tell uh, the waitress at Applebee's what the gospel is, okay? Could you, could you define it? Because we got our own churchy words, and we got our own churchy phrases. You know that we do, okay? We say things. Here, here's an example. Don't ever tell your Christian, non-Christian neighbor. Don't ever go up to your non-Christian neighbor and say, Bro, can I bathe you in prayer? They're going to say, can you what? We got our church words, don't we, okay? And some of you older seasoned saints, okay? And, and that's probably a, a church word, you know? If you said that out there, people are like, what, what are you talking about? Well, you sprinkle barbecue stuff on? Older, you, you've been around here for a while. You, you remember us saying this. Hey, come visit with me in church. I'll meet you in the narthex. The what? What in the world is an art? We all giving an anthrax away or something? So we got churchy words, okay? We got these churchy words, and gospel is one of them. And so you hear it all the time, but I wonder if we really know what gospel means. And when you leave here in a little bit, you're going to know exactly what it means and why it's so important to be attached to it. It is incredibly important. So let me go ahead and, and show you a few things that are of a detailed nature that will help us a little bit. The original Greek language where that word comes from in the Bible, it is pronounced like this. It is called euangelion. That's how you say it, euangelion. And what euangelion is, is really a compound word. It's two words that the Greeks brought together to create what the word gospel is. So every time you read it in your Bible, you come across gospel, this is the word euangelion. Now, here are the two words. The first one is the word eu. And what that word means is good. So you can see there and understand that we're talking about something that is good. And we borrow words that do that. Euphoria, good feeling. Eulogy, speak good about somebody. Euphemism, take something that is really bad and try to make it sound good. That's a euphemism. It's, it's what your dentist does when you go see him and he says, now you might experience a little discomfort, right? That's a euphemism, okay? Trying to make something better than what it is. And so the idea of EU means good. And then the next word, angelion, you look at it and you can kind of notice there by sight, it has the word angel in it. Angels' purposes in the Bible was always to pronounce something, to announce something, to make everybody know about something. They had a message, they had news. And so, Evangelion 
which is translated gospel in the Bible, what it really means is this, good news. So when I, when I say, in order not to drift, y- your life has to be attached to the gospel, what I'm saying is that it has to be attached by good news. And if you ever detach from that good news, every time you will drift, every time. And so we know from the Bible that good news is a big deal. And so when we jump into the New Testament, we find all these places where the word gospel or good news is used. It would take us a a long time to look at all of them, but I want to show you a few in this message so you can get an idea of how the Bible treats this idea of good news. One of those that I want to show you here in a minute comes at the introductory portion of a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. And so the Apostle Paul wrote 12, 13 letters in our New Testaments, and, and they all start with just kind of a greeting, almost like you would write a letter or maybe you would send a text to somebody. So, so if I send a text to somebody, hey man, how you doing, Hastings here. And so that, that's how these letters start. And it is our tendency, just kind of read through that real quick and get to the good stuff. And I wanna suggest that you never just kind of skip through the first couple verses of these letters because there are often hidden gems there. Now, he, he was writing a letter to the church that existed in the city of Rome. So this was a big-time church, big-time place, really important. And in the opening words, I want you to see what he said. Check this out. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Now, you and I probably read through that, don't pay any attention at all. Opening, you know, let's get to the meat of the stuff, let's get to the real stuff. But if you look that, Paul clarifies something. The gospel belongs to God. It is his good news. It's not my good news. It's not your good news to do with whatever we want to, to ignore it or, or change it or add it or take something away from it or make it our own kind of version of our good news that we're gonna talk about in a little bit. No, this belongs only to God. It's his. So don't mess with it. Now, during the days of the New Testament, there were a number of churches who did that. They took the gospel of God and they kind of made it their own. They kind of did things with it so that it would become kind of their gospel and their understanding of the gospel. And one of the places that happened was a, a group of churches that met in an area called Galatia. It's an area right now in the Middle East and there were a number of churches that existed in the region of Galatia, and Paul wrote a letter to them that would be translated to all the churches, and so they would read it in one church and send it to another church. And why he wrote this letter is because they messed with God's gospel. They thought it was their own, and they did their own kind of stuff with it. 
And so Paul addresses it in the book of Galatians. I want to I show you how he deals, deals with it. It comes up in chapter 1, which means he hits it right out of the gate in his letter. And I want you to see what he says in these opening verses here. He said, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Look at this, sixth verse in. I can't believe you're doing this. I am speechless. I am amazed. I I don't have any words to explain this at all. It is unthinkable to me what you have done. You have altered the gospel that's not yours to alter. And then he moves from this into some of the most stern language that Paul wrote in any of his writings in the New Testament. And when I show you, then it will make sense about that kind of bold proclamation we started out with to create tension. Notice what he said in the next verse. But even if we or an angel of heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, Let him be eternally condemned. That's one word in the Greek language. It is anathema, and it means let him be damned. It is the antithesis of salvation. Let him be damned. And Paul said, if it's me, then let it happen to me. If it is an angel that is doing this, let it happen to the angel. This is unthinkable that you've done this with the gospel. It's absolutely unthinkable is what he's saying there. And you've got to believe that the tension of the room when they read this in the churches was so strong that there were probably people in the room who might have thought what you might have thought when I read the opening statement. They're reading this from Paul and they're saying, did did he really say that? Is that really what he meant by that? Really? And and so Paul comes, watch this, verse eight, and he comes into the ninth verse because he knows they're probably thinking that. Look what he did in verse nine. Let's go to that. He said, as we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody's preaching a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. You see this phrase, let him, it's got a sense behind that wording of pledging. What Paul is saying is you can bank on it. I promise you. That if you mess with the gospel of God, it will not end well with you. You can't change the consistency and the nature of what belongs to the gospel of God. You you just can't change that. I I thought about that a little bit and was trying to think, okay, do do I have a way that I can kind of explain that? I remember when one of my sons was in high school, he had a, a short stint working at a fast food restaurant. 
And a lady came up one day and ordered an ice cream cone. And so he, he got the ice cream cone, he made it, he brought it to the lady, she paid it, she takes off. He goes on the next customer, and it's probably a minute later, this lady comes back, she cuts in line, gets up in front, and hands it to him and says, that is the worst ice cream I have ever tasted in all my life. He said, I'm, I'm sorry, ma'am. And so he took the cone, and then he went and got one of his coworkers who's in charge of the ice cream. She was a preacher's kid of another preacher. And now that I think about it, that's probably the problem. We got two preacher's kids working here together. And so they go in the back trying to find out what's going on. And what they had discovered is they had these great big white bags that they would use to put in the machine, and it would solidify into ice cream. And it was right next to the great big white bags that they used for their coleslaw. <laughs> they changed the nature of the ice cream. Paul said, I can't even wrap my head around the idea that you have done that with the gospel. I, I, just, I just can't even believe that's happened. And he writes to these churches, calling them out because of that error. And so that causes people like you and I to say, man, what is the good news? What is the gospel? Define it for me because I don't want to mess with it like that. And so I'm going to present to you a definition, best one that I could come up with for me. And you guys know I kind of make them simple because they make sense to me. And I'm going to show you what the definition of the gospel is. Watch this. God's gospel that God put together that God forbids anybody from messing with. This is a great definition of it. Let's check it out. The gospel is this. In spite of our internal badness that will never depart while we are on this earth, God has chosen to forgive us through the death of Jesus and welcome us into eternal paradise. That is the good news. Now notice how it starts. It starts with our badness. We are not good by nature. We never get completely good by nature. Never. You ever knew somebody say, ah, oh, they're a good person. They're a good guy. She's a great lady. Nobody ever gets totally good. We are bad by nature. You never, ever, ever lose it. The Bible claims that all people sin and fall short of God's standard of perfection. The Bible says if we claim that we don't sin, then we're deceived. It starts with this idea of our badness, but the definition moves to the idea that God's love for you, please hear me, is bigger than your badness. God's love is way greater than that, and he proves it by having his son pay the penalty for our badness through his death on the cross. And so the punishment for our badness that we can't ever get away from, their day and night, every day, the punishment for that has been paid, watch this, and somebody else paid it. We didn't have to pay it. That is the gospel. 
That's the good news. And because the penalty for our badness has been wiped out and has been paid, we are granted admission into heaven even though we have not earned it ourselves. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's why the word evangelism in the Bible, think of the word evangelism, picture it in your mind, elangelion, they look about the same thing. Evangelism is tell everybody the good news that we're all bad. And God said it doesn't matter to me. My love for you is bigger. My son will pay the penalty of that. And I have an incredible place for all of eternity that you can come to even though you don't deserve it and you will never, ever, ever be able to earn it. That is the good news. Now, it's interesting that when you think about it in that light, you then begin to see places in the Bible where it starts to make sense. And you're getting real close to where we're gonna make this applicable to our lives. The book of Colossians has one of the most interesting places in it that talk about the gospel. And if you ever read it, I'm gonna show you again, then you'll know that's the gospel. That's the gospel right here. Let me show you two real quick in Colossians chapter one, verse 21. Notice what it says. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. See, look at that. That is our badness. Everybody starts there, and we don't ever completely get away from our badness. We're distanced from God. We're not like him, so we're not exactly equal to him. We're enemies. He considers us an enemy. Why? Because of our evil behavior. Everybody starts life here, and nobody ever gets completely away from it. That is the beginning of the gospel. And then the gospel arises in the very next verse. Look at the next verse, verse 22. But now he has reconciled. Somebody say he. You didn't say it, okay? Somebody say he. Okay, you didn't do this. I didn't do this. He, God, has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Notice, God reconciled. That word means to take two things that are broke apart, and it was often used medically for bones that had been broken, and it's to put them back together. And so because of our badness that we can't get rid of, you know it as well as I do, God says, I'm gonna put it back together. And how does he put it back together? He has his son Jesus pay the penalty for it. And then notice, notice what happens when God does this, when God makes this happen, that God reconciles. Notice what happens, it's really interesting. We go from being distanced with God in verse 21 to put back together with God in verse 22. We go from being one of God's enemies in verse 21 to being holy in the sight of God in verse 22. We go from bad behavior with God in verse 21 to verse 22 where God says, I can't find anything against you. Why did that happen? How did that happen? That happened only because of God's choice. That is the gospel, and that is the good news. Now, here's where it gets, here, here's, the, here's the cherry on top of the ice cream. Watch this. In the 23rd verse, Paul brings to light 
the importance of this anchor. In the 23rd verse, after he has described the gospel, hopefully you're still with me. In the 23rd verse, he says this. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, does that sound like drift to you? Doesn't sound like drift to me. Not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel. Now, some people look at that and they totally mess it up. They completely misunderstand it because they think the 23rd verse, stay with me here, is an expression of something that is of, of nature where you're, you're looking at something that is conditional. So verse 21, I'm bad. Verse 22, God comes in. Hey, I'm gonna put it together by Jesus. And then verse 23 says, if, if, you don't drift. And so we look at this as conditional. That's how we look at verse 23. That is not right. That is not what he's saying. You know why that's not what he's saying? He's not saying every time you drift, oh, dude, you lost it all, okay? The only way to have it is to stay connected. Stay there. That, that's not what he's saying. It is not conditional because if it's conditional, somebody listen, somebody listen. If it's conditional, then it's up to you. See, we've already attested to the fact that we can't make it happen. It is not conditional. Watch this. It is consequential. This is key, that the minute, now I want you to hear my heart, the minute that it finally clicks with me what the gospel is, that it's bigger than my badness, that he still loves me, he still accepts me, he still paid for the penalty, I'm still heading to heaven. When that gets down in me, everybody listen. Watch what happens. I am not leaving that. Why would you leave that? Why would you drift away from that? Why on earth would you do that? That's why Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia, I can't even wrap my head around what you're doing See, the reality is that we drift because the gospel, the good news, has not been seeded deep into the heart. Because the minute you understand what God has really done for you, I'm not talking about singing it and just kind of, you know, ho-ho and, and talking about it and reading about your Bible and yeah, know about the good. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when the message of the gospel gets down and does something inside of you. If it's ever done something to you and you know what I'm talking about, say amen. You know what I'm saying. When it gets down in there, what happens? You never, ever drift away from it. And what my experience has been in my life and in the life of other people that I observe is that there is a tendency to drift away from that because of a couple things that we do messing with the gospel. Remember when we started? This is God's. 
But we got a tendency to kind of mess with it a little bit, and the end result is that we drift. Now, if you're in this room right now, and there is an ounce of you in total honesty with your own heart, and you're saying, I, I know I've drifted, man. I am not where I was with God. I know that happened. I want you to hear me. I promise you it's because you messed with the gospel. I promise you that. And so let me show you a couple things that we do with the gospel when we mess with it. Here's one of the most common ones we do. We forget the gospel. We, we just literally have it dissipate from our mind, and it doesn't come up in our normal life thinking. We don't think about the gospel. And when it's not happening in here and we forget it, we end up drifting because of it. Now, I, I don't want to apply it to ourselves because it just, it, quite frankly, it just gets too painful. So here's what we're going to do, okay? Um, we're going to do what Christians do best, blame other people, okay? So here's, here's what we're going to do. We are all going to say that we got an imaginary friend, okay? We all got the same dude who's our friend. We're going to call him Benjamin, all right? I apologize if your name is Benjamin or your favorite uncle is Benjamin or your, your sweet little kid is Benjamin, but our guy tonight, Benjamin, okay? Everybody's got a Benjamin who's a friend, and Benjamin is a Christian, but we have noticed our friend Benjamin has been drifting, okay? We've seen him do some things that he never used to do that. We've seen some behaviors that aren't consistent with who he used to claim to be. And so we got Benjamin in our life, and we see that happening with Benjamin. And it is entirely appropriate for any of us in a sensitive and caring manner to sit down with Benjamin and ask him this. Have you forgotten what God did for you? See, that's the question. The question isn't, dude, what are you thinking? How could you ever do that? The, the question isn't for Christians to approach it like that. The question is simply, did you forget? There's no way you would do these things if you remembered the gospel. One of the Psalms in the Old Testament, the author is talking about the men in the tribe of Ephraim who had chosen not to keep God's laws anymore. In other words, it was a group of guys that were doing things they should have never done as children of God. And the psalmist said this, watch this, in Psalm 78, 11, look at it. They forgot what he had done. And, and, and so I know this is about Benjamin, okay? I get that, but let's just kind of jump off the cliff here and let's say it's about you. And if you ever find yourself in the slippage of sin, man, why do I do that all the time? Why do I make that mistake all the time? Why am I doing this stuff all the time? The answer is that the only way you commit those sins is when you forget the gospel in the moment. Because if you know the beauty and remarkable nature of the gospel, you would never do that to him. By the way, it's interesting that when we go back to Benjamin, we find out that 
It's not just a life that participates in behaviors that probably aren't Christ-like behaviors, but we're noticing with our friend uh, Benjamin that it seems that one of the things that really showing this, this slippage in his life and this drifting is that his passion for this isn't what it used to be. He, he, he's told us that, you know, it's just not in me anymore. And, and, and the idea of reading the Bible and, you know, praying and, and going to church, and giving up my weekends to do that, and, and maybe sacrificing things to help people who need, those kinds of things that I used to do, man, they're just not churning in me anymore. The feeling's just not there. I'm just not in it. I'm in a spiritual funk, man. I'm just not there. And it would be entirely appropriate for any of us in a very sensitive and caring manner, to look at our friend Benjamin in the midst of this funk, this losing of passion for God, to simply asking, have you forgotten what God did for you? Have you forgotten that? And, and, and see, I know it's about Benjamin and... Um, it's a little awkward and maybe a little too painful to kind of bring it home, but let's just kind of jump off the ledge here and let's, let's bring it home. Has your zeal for God ever been in reverse? I'm just not feeling it like I used to. The reason that happens is because we forget the gospel. There's a place in the second letter that Peter wrote, and he was writing to a group of people who'd kind of stalled out in their faith. You ever feel like you stalled out in faith? Man, if you, if you even ever felt that, then you're not being honest with yourself. And he's kind of stalled out. And he was talking about, man, faith is just growing and progressing and, and babies becoming adults in the faith, man. And he's talking about all that. And then he started addressing some people who were kind of stalling, man. They just kind of lost it. They were in a spiritual funk and, and all those things. They just, I, you know, I'm just not there right now. And he was addressing people like that in Second Peter. And I want you to see what he said to them in this sentence he said, he, referring to one of the guys there, he said, he has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. You know what it's saying? Have you forgotten what God did for you? Have you forgotten the gospel? And one of my hopes is that we're going to walk out of here in a few minutes and, and at least there has been the seed placed in our mind we got to think about that often. we got to remember that often. This unbelievable news that is good. It, it, because what will it do? It will keep me there. I will never drift as long as I remember it. Let me show you one other thing real quick that we do with the gospel. It's, it's kind of funny, but, but it's so painful when you look at it. And that is we form the gospel into what we want it to be. So let's go back and blame Benjamin for it, okay? Benjamin's a member of our church. He does this all the time, man. He messes with the gospel and forms it into his view of good news. And if you go to Benjamin and talk to him and say, dude, what is the good news about your faith? 
Here's the thing he says. Man, I love my church. I think the music is the best we've ever had. If it's getting too close to home, be careful, okay? Man, the people are the not. You don't meet nicer people than what you meet at Eastside Christian Church. And he every once in a while even tells his preacher, good job, bro. That was awesome. Man, that is good news about the church. He's just so pumped with that. And he also believes. Man, you listen to him talk and you are sold on it. He believes. Man, if you stay with God, you live this thing out, man, the goodness and the power of God is unbelievable. You sick, you can pray to God, and God's going to answer that. You fall on rough times, you pray to God, and God's going to pull that out somehow. You got a marriage that's struggling, you ask God. God, intervene into our hearts, and that's going to come back together, man. In anything you're dealing with, God is powerful and wants your life to be the best that it possibly can be. That's the kind of God that we have. Benjamin's saying that all the time. And a whole lot of us in this church are getting caught up in that. And the good news, the good news is what God is doing in this church. And the good news is how God answers prayer with unbelievable power. Anything sound bad about that? I don't hear anything bad there. But then one day Benjamin showed up at church and the the music was a little bit too loud for him. Or it was too soft, I can't remember. And he walked into the auditorium and he accidentally bumped into a lady in the auditorium and she gave him the stink eye. And then the sermon was a little on the boring side that day and a little long. I mean, that's hard to believe, but. And he walked out because his form of the gospel, let him down. Now I'm messing with people, aren't I? And then totally out of the blue one day, Benjamin got laid off from work, and that caused his marriage to struggle. And the next week, he got news that his mom's cancer had spread to her brain, and his form of the gospel had let him down, and he began to drift. The problem for Benjamin, hear me, was that none of those things are the gospel. Now, I know we're talking about Benjamin and not us, but let's kind of, you know, let's jump off the ledge there and let's get a little personal about it because Just by chance, if maybe you have slipped a little in your devotion to church, you know, church isn't maybe not a big a deal for you anymore, and, you know, maybe you're online because, you know, it's just kind of not that big of a deal to you anymore, and and, and, and maybe maybe you're just kind of not having the zeal anymore, and you're kind of drifting away from that a little bit because, because the things that you thought were the gospel are not walking your way. Can I tell you that if your gospel is nice people, and if your gospel is great music, and if your gospel is engaging sermons, every one of those will disappoint you. Because those aren't the gospel. I want to suggest that you see this very carefully. Look at this up here. The gospel is not God 
doing something remarkable for you here on this earth because you are good. But God doing something remarkable for you in heaven because you are bad. Do you see the difference? And if you mess that up, that you have no right to mess it up because it's not yours. You drift because your version of the gospel that you have formed in your mind is not the gospel. See, the gospel is this, that I am bad and I will always be bad. And God still loves me. A few weeks ago, I was back in my hometown where I grew up as a young boy. I get back there every once in a while, and, and I had some time, and so I uh, was driving around town. It's not a real big town. driving around town looking at different places that I hung out with, you know, as a little kid, just kind of reminiscing. And I went by our middle school. We called it a junior high school back in those days and looked at the school. I went over to the park where I played a little bit baseball and went out and checked out the pond where me and my buddies would go swimming. And I was driving around town. I had about an hour to blow, and, and there was something in me that was saying, dude, you got to get over to the porch, you got to go to the porch on Oaklawn Court. And so I hadn't been there for, my best guess was maybe 50 years. And so I drive over to this secluded street. It's kind of off the main drag. And I park in front of this house on this little cove, this little court. And I just spend, I don't know, three, four, five minutes. I'm right in front of that house staring at that porch. I think the last time I was there was Christmas Day. Maybe 50 years or so ago. I don't, I don't know how long ago. It was a long time. And I was just a little kid. And my impression is that my parents never had gobs of money. They, they were probably kind of on the lower end of the, the, um, the middle there. And so we, we never had gobs of money. But, but somehow they made Christmas work to the maximum. My sister's here. They did, didn't they? I mean, Christmases were like insanity. Gobs and gobs of, I don't know where all the toys came, but every Christmas was like that. And on this particular year, I had asked for a set of weights that my friend was selling. He was selling his weights. And I wanted weights because I wanted to become a, a muscle guy. And the reason you're looking at this right now is because I didn't get the silly weights. And so... The, the Christmas morning came, and man, there were gifts everywhere, but there weren't any weights. And so I, I uh, instead of enjoying the plunder, uh, as my sister and brother were, I pouted all day, ungrateful, childish, self-centered. What do you do with a kid like that, if you're the dad? I don't know. Maybe a stern conversation. I know it's Christmas, but maybe a, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, how do you deal with that? And so my dad told me to get in the car. And I remember this. David, get in the car. I'm like, oh, take me out in the woods and murder me probably. I don't know what's going to happen. We get in the car, and we drive down Minnesota, and we turn left on Main Street, and we go a couple blocks there, and then we veer right to go to Oakland Court. 
and we pull up in this driveway where my buddy lives, and my dad says, stay in a car, and he, Christmas Day. He walks up on that porch and knocks on the door, and Larry, the dad, comes out, and I see my dad pull his billfold, and I see him give Larry something, and over the next few minutes, I see Larry and my dad carrying these weights and putting them in the trunk of the car. And he gets in the car and says, let's go set these up, Davey, and I'll show you some exercises. And I'm sitting at my desk um, this morning, figuring out how I end this message about the gospel, and I'm thinking, is there, is there something I've ever experienced that's close to the gospel? And my mind went to that porch. And Jesus said this. Look at this. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven that is the gospel. Stay with that message. Don't forget it. And don't mess with it. And you will never drift. Father, there are, um, there are no words to thank you for what you did. My prayer today is that we have been reminded of the basic truth of our faith today. And it will reseed itself into the depth of our heart. And it will anchor us home again. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray for that.